Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church from the Gospel of Luke. Coming down the mountain with them, Jesus stepped, stopped in a level area where there were a great number of disciples. A large crowd of people was with them from Jerusalem and all over Judea to as far north as the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon. People who had come to hear Jesus and be healed of their diseases and even to be freed from unclean spirits. Indeed, the whole crowd was trying to touch Jesus because power was coming out of him and healing them all. Looking at the disciples, Jesus said, You who are poor are blessed, for the reign of God is yours. You who hunger now are blessed, for you'll be filled. You who weep now are blessed, for you'll laugh. You are blessed when people hate you, when they scorn and insult you, and spurn your name as evil because of the chosen one. On the day they do so, rejoice and be glad. Your reward will be great in heaven, for their ancestors treated the prophets the same way. But woe to you, rich, for you are now receiving your comfort in full. Woe to you who are full, for you'll go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you'll weep in your grief. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for their ancestors treated the false prophets in the same way. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's, uh, let's pray together. God of blessings and woe, disturbing the deadly order of this world, pray that you would give us faith tested in poverty, a hunger for what really satisfies, eyes softened by tears and hearts ready to laugh at all the false and pompous that we might be witnessed to the dig- that we might be witnesses to the dignity of life we pray that you would teach that you would show us the way of life through Jesus Christ who turns the world upside down in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, we've been going through um, the Gospel of Luke, and today we continue. And Jesus um, is on his, what I've called the Jubilee Tour. In the very beginning of Luke, his kind of first spoken words into a synagogue where the Spirit of God is upon me because the Most High has anointed me to bring, to bring good news to those who are poor. God has sent me to proclaim liberty to those held captive, recovery of sight to those who are blind, and to release those in prison, to proclaim the year, the jubilee of our God's favor. This is what Jesus says in the beginning, and surprising, Jesus, whatever he says, he begins to put his life and his actions and his decisions behind it. These aren't just words or hopeful things that he throws out into the world. But this is backed up by the life he begins to lead and live with others. And so Jesus goes and calls disciples and shows them jubilee by, by bringing them and showing them a new life when they thought it was over. And they pull in fish into their boat, not one, two, but until two, two boats overflow. He turns water into wine. He begins healing people from all around. And in the midst of it all, he keeps preaching what he preached in the beginning. 
But this isn't just Jesus' idea about himself. This idea of what Jesus would be in the Gospel of Luke as he moves through the town and through the people is the one that his mom had about him. Mary, in the very beginning during our season of Advent, said the prayers about who this Christ would be. And it wasn't just that he would be this special child, but it was he would bring one who, who those who are low, he would lift them up. And so this prophecy about him, and th- those weren't just Mary's words, those were words that came before in Scripture, it's beginning to fulfill. And there's something powerful to that, to when our words and when our life and words that are spoken begin to take life and begin to fulfill, and Jesus is stepping into this. It's been on its way, and the tour is on, and Jesus just keeps moving forward. And a crowd from all around starts showing up. If you got out your map somewhere in your Bible, you would be able to see that these towns are spread far and wide. And so people are like, okay, this is real. We need to go and check this out. And they're all showing up. And so we we know that there is a diverse experience and story. There's diverse um, thoughts and faith of actually who the Messiah is. And they're coming to actually see this Jesus. And he's beginning to center this crowd and this diversity around him. And as he moves through this crowd, power is coming through him. Power and authority is being sent to the people. And then there's this line that he is healing all of them. I think the image that we have first when we think of Jesus healing all of these people coming from all over around the region is that those who are, are lame or blind or, or struggling or sick, Jesus is, is touching and healing them. I think that is true. I think also that Jesus' healing is more than that. That is Christ's presence as Christ of, as a fulfilled wor- word and prophecy in this world. His presence in this world brings, brings healing to all people. Even to those who oppose him, he brings healing. And I think if we're going to approach this passage, this kind of upside down, paradoxical, kind of hard to figure out what do we do with it passage, we have to approach it with a heart of healing. We have to be humble enough in our life and say, I need healing somewhere in my life. I am so scared to admit it to anyone, my boss, my partner, myself, but if I just stop for a moment, I can feel the dis-ease in my own soul, and I need healing. If you were to ask Christ, if, if literally he, he was here, as he says he is, he was here today, if you were to ask Christ for healing, what would you ask for? What is the deepest part of you that feels like it needs to be known, seen, restored. This is the posture that the crowd comes to Jesus. And so Jesus shows up, and um, he begins to preach and to teach to them. And Luke starts this teaching really interesting and very different than the Gospel of Matthew. I don't know if it was two different teachings or if if Luke and Matthew just didn't get along or they remembered this season differently. Sometimes with my brothers, we'll talk about Christmas, and I remember certain Christmases very different than they. It doesn't really matter, but Luke is making a very clear point. Coming down from the mountain with them, Jesus stopped on a level area 
where there were a great number of disciples, a large crowd was with them. So Matthew has him up on a mountain kind of proclaiming this stuff, and Luke has him come down the mountain. This is called the Sermon on the Plain, which just doesn't have the same ring as Sermon on the Mount, but Sermon on the Plain. Luke's making a point because he doesn't make it just here. He makes it through the beginning of the gospel all the way to the end. And the point is this, that Jesus is one with the people. He is not speaking above. He's not speaking at them. But he's one who comes into the dirt and the grit and the, the smell and the brokenness of their life. And he walks with the people and heals with and among the people. He is empowering these people who have felt powerless for their entire life. Jesus is walking with them, not simply above them. To this, I think the church in America and in the world and myself could learn such a great lesson. The church has been known for a voice that just speaks to people and at people and above people. And I'm not saying that there's, a, there's an authority and a life that needs to be brought that God brings to this world. But I'm saying the way that God brought that authority is on the plane, is with the people. It's coming down from the mountain and living and embodying life with them. And so the church could be a people who, who speak with people in their life not above or outside of it, pointing fingers. I've got a picture here of, um, this is a pulpit, maybe. Yeah, this is a, the, these are beautiful. I've been in these churches before. This is what the church has done forever, and if you go to old churches, this is a lot what they're like. You, the pastor, the one with authority and power, would climb the pulpit, and you would like, wow, here it goes. He's climbing up to heaven. He, always a he, would preach from this top of this place. And actually, I went to one church um, back in the day where if, if and I kind of like this, but if, if the pastor began to say, if the preacher began to say something that was heretical, there's like a trap door under the pulpit that you would get pulled in. I've seen it. It's a real thing. Um, we don't have one. That's why I preach down here. Um, it's not because I want to be with you. It's no trap door here. Um, the church for so long, we've, we've seen this as our role, to just try to be above culture, above others, to just be, see ourselves greater, more holy, more pure, and to speak at people. But Jesus just chose to do it a different way. He got on a level field on their plane in the midst of their lives. As Philippians talks about, he emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant, so that he may serve and love and have true authority and power with the people. He did this even more as we see him kneel, grab his disciples' feet, the feet of the disciple that's just about ready, his enemy, the one who's going to betray him, and he washes his feet. My friends, what image of God are you holding on to right now? Is that God standing on a level ground in the midst of your very life, emptying itself to be with you, to serve you, and to walk with you? That God, is that God more powerful than you are, bigger than you are, but still with you and serving you? The posture we take with others that we're trying to love and serve and walk with is so important. 
and one of the greatest lessons that we can learn from Christ. I know in my own home, if I can just take a moment to like get down onto my kid's level, it changes the whole environment. When someone is struggling, or with someone I'm struggling with, if I can just seek to maybe hear their story before I make the judgments about their decisions. It's a getting to their level, their understanding, without having to approve everything, but just to be able to be with them before I am against them. The church, the Christian church, I know its heart. Progressive, liberal, all, I know its heart is to serve the world. But I think one of the things we missed in following Jesus was embodying and posturing ourselves the way that Christ did to be on the level playing field with them. So Jesus gets on this field, he's healing all people, and then he begins to speak these powerful words of blessing and woe. And as Jesus speaks these, we kind of, it feels like, like a, a riddle we're supposed to figure out and have been trying to figure out for thousands of years. But one of the things I think we miss is that as Jesus is sharing this, one of the things that he is doing is he is doing an old thing that we see throughout Scripture. We saw it in our psalm today, Psalm 1. Happy are those. Um, cursed are those. Jeremiah talks about it when he gets up in front of the people as a prophet and he says, you know, cursed are those who, who judge. Cursed are those who worship other gods and blessing blessed are those who are like a tree of life for the world around them in Deuteronomy 30 we see it again for God says for I have set before you today a life of prosper of life and prosperity or death and adversity Jesus adopts and adapts an ancient motif of a framing of this whole kind of teaching. And what he's kind of saying is that there before you is a way of life. And I want to lay it before you. But what Jesus does so well is he just mixes up the metaphors for us. When we go, oh yeah, yeah, we've heard this. God hates us when we do evil, when we're criminals, and we're, we're like, we're mean to people, got it. And Jesus says, no, listen to this. Blessed are the poor, the hungry, the weeping, those who are hated. Do you know why I think Jesus says that these people are blessed? One, because it's a deep truth of the kingdom of God. Two, because I think it's a lot of the people who are in the crowd. Because people who need healing, they come forward weeping and hungry. They feel their poverty. They have been rejected by this world. And they stand before Jesus and he looks them in the eye and he says, I know you think you're worthless and covered with shame and oppressions of the systems of this world, but you are blessed. I wonder how they looked at themselves as they left Jesus. Did they agree were they mad that it just maybe seemed like words, but their life didn't feel like a blessing? And to the rich, the full, the laughing, and those who are liked, he says, whoa. I kind of think of, um, I don't ride horses ever. I actually, like, I rode one and my face swelled up. I think I'm allergic maybe, but um, <laughs> I think of someone like, whoa, to a wild animal. Like, hold back, like, you know that the way you're going is not a way of life. Woe to you 
who have found your identity and your richness and your fullness in just being happy and comfortable all the time and being liked by as many people as personally can like you. Whoa, 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 Jesus says. This kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. And Jesus is saying this is something in which this is the future we are going towards. This is God's reality that we are all moving towards. So you can either get on board or not. And he also says, and this is a present reality. This isn't just a future idea, but he says now. Like you are blessed, you are children of God, you are in the kingdom of God here and now. The poor are not blessed because of their poverty. But Jesus is not upholding a system of of poverty and saying that's good and and you're blessed as well. But in spite of their poverty, hunger, and and weeping, When all may seem lost, hope is gone. Jesus is looking them straight in the eye and saying, you are my child and you are blessed because I am with you. How do these blessings and woes address us today? Probably different for each one of us. Well, part of it means to the extent that we are poor, hungry, mourning, or outcast. The answer is yes, and at the same time, Jesus indirectly encourages everyone, everyone to be in solidarity with these same people. The better option, another option, is to become potential instruments and channels of divine blessing. So it's looking at the world and saying, this is, this is the way that God says the world is, and I'm going to believe it and put my faith in it, and so I'm going to be part of blessing those who God says is blessed and joining them. To the extent that we are rich, well-fed, happy, and admired, we can hear Jesus' woes as a direct challenge calling us towards a more just and generous way of life. My friends, I believe God's realm is dawning. The great Jubilee tour is still happening and is taking over more and more. It is not too late to follow, to join, to posture ourselves as Christ has postured himself. You see, because this Christ emptied him, his whole self. He emptied his whole self so that, you know what, for himself, I think he found himself in the emptying. Christ found out who he truly was and who he belonged to in the emptying of himself. And then he fully gave himself to those around us, those around him. This is what Christ has done. Next week we'll see that right after this he calls us to love our enemy, the great equalizer, whether you are blessed or whether you on the woe list, all are called to love our enemy. The question for us right now, in the midst of our need for healing, in the midst of our poverty, our hunger, in the midst of our fullness and our excess, is are we allowed, can we empty ourselves to the base of who we are so that we may open ourselves to receive the Christ who is giving us everything we need. Where do you need healing? Can you open yourself to receive? Let's pray.
Together at the sundown 